All right, and welcome to the Going Places podcast today. It's a nice Thursday the 10th. Uh, it's just me today, Camden. Daniel is not here due to his golf tryouts today, so we wish him the best of luck on that for the Gaffney golf team. Uh, he'll probably find out today, and he'll, we'll probably be talking about it next week. However, uh, for the first time in the series history, we do have a recurring guest with us today. He was on, I believe, episode 9. And he is doing a lot of wonderful work in the community. He is a minister. He uh, is the chair of the Blacksburg Business Association. Uh, oh, Secretary. Right. Secretary. What did I say? Chair. Oh, that sounds a little communist, doesn't it? <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, chair does too. But anyway. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, he also owns one of our uh, big supporters, uh, Wasfire Cafe on North Shelby Street. You can check out, we'll go ahead and plug them now. You can check out the website and menu at uh, wasfirecafe.com. That's right. And he's also just knows a little bit about it, or knows a decent amount about everything. That's right. It seems like. Try to be. Cultured is what it is. That's why we like him. He's cultured. And uh, Thomas, good to have you today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Daniel. (laughs) That was a good one. Yes. That was a good one. But, yeah, so, um, like you said, you're doing a lot of work in the community right Mm now. A lot of things going on. But, uh, so what is kind of your, not necessarily schedule, but what is what you're involved in actively right now? Oh, Lord. Uh, Probably one of the bigger things taking up a good bit of time right now, just because we're in the beginning part of the year, um, is the work we do with the Blacksburg Business Association. Um, So, you know, in every community, you've got a lot of different cogs that keep the machine turning. And um, sometimes people can think that, especially in smaller towns, that it's just the small, the local government officials that keep everything running. Uh, But really, the only way things work is having a bunch of different organizations, government and especially non-government agencies. And um, that's one of my favorite things about being in the Blacksburg Business Association is we're an NGO. We are a non-government organization. We're a 501c6 uh, nonprofit organization. And we exist to help promote and grow the business uh, community in Blacksburg. And one of the reasons why uh, we need that is, you know, if you don't have an economy and you don't have a market, you don't have much of a reason for a town to exist. Um, And especially when, you know, you think about, uh, I know since the day we opened up here, it was like maybe three weeks before we got our first solicitation. You know, the first person comes down from Blacksburg High School saying, uh, hi, my name is so-and-so and and I'm on Distinguished Young Women and we wanted to know if you would like to sponsor us for this upcoming thing, you know. And then it's like every two, three months you've got someone coming in and they they go to the businesses for the sponsorship. And so, um, you know, businesses then, they need a network themselves to help grow and promote the business network because as our businesses thrive, as the tide rises on the economy here in Blacksburg, what that does is that gives more money and more influence to be able to support the other organizations like Distinguishing Women, like the Boys Club, like um, the football teams, all the different sports programs that go on in Blacksburg. Um, and all these things you know, have this compounding uh, effect of making everything bigger, better, work smoothly. Um, and so, yeah, so with it being the beginning part of the year, uh, with BBA, we're getting ready to roll out a massive marketing campaign. Uh, pushing the events and, and things going on in town. We're going to be rolling out some billboards along 85 and some other out-of-market networks uh, because we've just been really fortunate this last year. We've got some grant writing stuff done and uh, you know the stars just lined up. Things come together that we were able to get a substantial amount of money to be able to put into the community, uh, to put into recruiting new business, but also getting people off of the interstate, getting people to stop and see our town, spend time and spend some money here. Um, so right now we're on the, a lot of that. You know, It's February, so we're still... The fiscal year, the way the town runs, and really BP, I think, does a lot of that, too. We really run, like, April to to April every year. So we're in the planning phase of, like, trying to get everything lined up, everything uh, going. And um, and this year is different, you know, because the pandemic is uh, coming to a close, or at least the focus on the pandemic. Like, yeah. And, um, you know, even I saw an article just yesterday, the, uh, the people and the towns are done with the mandates with the CDC. Not quite yet, uh, but the people, and that's what really matters because, you know, America is of the people, for the people, by the people, and the people are done. So, like, we're moving on, and something I'm really excited in seeing, and we're seeing it here in Blacksburg, is that 
people aren't ready to go back to just pre-pandemic normal, um, I'm starting to see people care more about their community yeah. and to get more involved. You know, uh, we were talking right before the podcast about uh, the most recent town council meeting yeah. here just earlier this week and a lot of the uh, very emotion-filled speeches that happened there. You know, there was a lot of uh, high energy in, in the Blacksburg Civic Center this week. <laughs> Which is something you don't see a lot, or as much as you would think. Yeah, no, it's it's something that's really gone away. Um for a long time. I, I can't remember the last time I heard an impassioned speech, you know, at a, just a small civic meeting. <laughs> Wait, brought that back, didn't they? That's right. Had to pull back Tuesday. And, uh, but yeah, so, so we're, um, you know, I'm really excited to see people caring about their community. And, and a lot of it is um, because the pandemic, I think, I don't think the pandemic made things worse. I think the pandemic shattered people's illusions about things that were really bad for a long time. Uh, and because we had to stop and, you know, take a break from work or take a break from uh, certain things that are distractions, we started seeing, oh, wow, this has gotten kind of bad over here. And, um, and so I know um, we're going to talk about today about the upcoming uh, town hall event, you know, yes. it's going to be happening in Blacksburg. Definitely. And I think, you know, that's not a, that town hall event is about like the, the rise in drug overdoses and, and all these issues in our community. But you know, really, that's like, that's, that's not new. Me. No. That's, that's, the pandemic didn't do that. No. The pandemic just made people keenly aware of it. Yes. <laughs> made it maybe I think I think overall drug use has spiked a little bit. It was already at a big height, and then it already yeah. kind of just. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that has changed, and there was some data to support this. I actually just uh, saw a news report last night. I think it was where. Um, and again, it's, it may not be that it's necessarily true. It may just be that someone just now stopped to think to actually do the study. Um, but teenage and young adult mental health is at an all-time high for crisis. Um, and of course, the pandemic was a big part of that because you have so many kids who had their entire routines taken away. You know, they couldn't go to school, or if they did, it was like limited days, yeah. back and forth stuff. And um, when you take away something that's a regular schedule of stability from an individual and they already had other stressors in their life like yeah that leads to some crisis stuff it does and that's one thing that was really and you know that is going to be something that we have what one week before that happens i think so yeah before the town hall meeting friday well maybe not i don't know but when we do uh we do want to be doing some promoting of that because that's something that has an potential to be something that can really be a good conversation store on our community. I think it'd be something that the community re rebrands itself over, you know, the way that we talk about things, the way we try to figure out a solution to our problem here in Blacksburg. I think it can be something that makes or breaks the community. Yeah. I think it definitely has that potential. Definitely. In fact, you know, I I know we have listeners all over the country, but if you do have, but if you are from the Cherokee County area, uh, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to uh, come to the town hall meeting. It's going to be at the Blacksburg High School Auditorium, 7 o'clock. And we'll just be talking about, we'll have real conversations about a lot of issues, talking about drug and alcohol abuse, talking about a mental health crisis in the youth. And that's something that I really, because I wrote, I was working on some of the topics in question. And one thing that I really wanted to get across was that we there was such a mainstream way that people try to be proactive about these issues. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're poor intentioned because they're good intentioned, but at the same time, it's not always precisely accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, We tend to look at it from a very good guys, bad guys. A very polarized, yeah. Yes. And it seems to be that if we really break it down, especially if we're talking specifically in youth, if we're talking specifically in students and young people, I feel like you would see a lot more knowledge that can come to the surface about what's going on like I wrote a lot about well I think a lot of time and you will you hit it on the head when you were talking about the pandemic because people will so that if they want inside all day they will you know going to school like two days off two days off that costs a lot of that's a lot of unpredictability especially when every weekend they'll say you know well we have so many people quarantined they'll probably close it this week that's such unpredictability and in everyone's mind, everyone wants, uh, you know, a routine. Everyone wants comfort. But when you don't have that, you do tend to kind of grasp for other, for other substances, other objects that can kind of that you can kind of hold on to. And I think that's the reason that it got worse a lot. Once again, everybody was at home, so everyone kind of had, uh, if their parents were users, they had the option to, and they actually did more have access. the resources yeah. to do. They had the access. That was what I was looking for. They had the access to it. 
and that's how people get hooked. Now, I don't think that all of it needs to be looked through the purely victimized, you know, mental health, because, you know, once you do get hooked on something, it does, you do depend on it solely. Oh, yeah. So it's not all that is. But I do feel like if we really want to get to the heart of the problem, uh, depression is at an all-time high. Anxiety is at an all-time high. It's, uh, you know, in psychology, they have the understanding. Uh, anyone who's even taken, like, um, I didn't just take college psychology. We actually had some psychology courses at my high school when I was at Pickens High School for a time. And um, introduction to psychology, one of the first things you come across is what's called the hierarchy of needs. Yes. And uh, sometimes you'll see it as a chart or a pyramid. And, uh, you know, at the top of the pyramid, the finest point, but also at the pinnacle of humanity, is self-actualization. It's, yes. you know, coming to the place of where you're not operating your life based out of needs, those things, but like of higher aspirations, ideals, goals, lofty things, you know, things that are altruistic, things that are serving others. Um, and in psychology, and there's a lot of the stuff in psychology that is a, it is a soft science. There's a lot of things that are relative. There are a lot of things that are dependent heavily on culture and time, place. But I do think the hierarchy of needs is a very good understanding and because it basically says if you're hungry, right, you're starving, you, you don't have food security, it's really hard to think about altruism and, you know, being a good citizen and helping your neighbor when your belly is growling. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of times we, when it comes to the drug crisis in America, and it's really, it, it's, it's I, I do think that, that probably 95% of our substance abuse problems in America are a mental health issue. I think it's, I, I, I would weigh it that high. I agree. Um, I would but it, agree. It, it, we, don't under, we don't want to understand the drug crisis as a hierarchy of needs. Exactly. Um, because the drug is usually just a coping mechanism mm -hmm. because we don't have a solution or a method or a technique to handle our deep psychological issues that yes. are going on in our culture. And, you know, we're an empire that's floundering, we're a culture that's declining, we're a population statistic that is, you know, our birth rates are no longer replacing populations. So there's a lot of things going on culturally that is just shifting, moving. Um, and whether you believe the conspiracies like them or not, you know, there's all this idea that there are political players in the world who are manipulating the fall of our in, of our empire, of our culture, uh, for their own financial benefit. And so, of course, it's, you know, taking quick profit uh, at the expense of the, the people that are buying it. And so it's kind of like during Prohibition, you know, the, the people that would be making this uh, bathtub liquor uh, sometimes would cut it with some stuff and it turned out to be poison, so they were killing some of their customers. Well, also, fun fact, most of the poisonings that happened during Prohibition were government... Uh, uh, handled liquors, yep. but uh, but that's I, I do think that is happening in our culture where we're just willing to sacrifice a lot of people and a lot of things because you know you look at um, in, in our own Congress for example you know they care sometimes more about their own stock options their own trading options how a bill is going to affect them personally than they do of is this the right thing for our nation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but back to the, the, the drug thing, you know, so we were talking about this before. It was it June 1971 is when Nixon declared a war on drugs. Yes. And 51 years later, drugs won the war, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, here we are. It's 2022. Sadly, yeah. And um, the number of people who've died from opioid overdoses uh, and all of the drug usage is, is what we can count up as, a, as an overdose far exceeds global COVID numbers. It's just, it's not even a comparison. Um, you know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the opioid crisis of the 90s and then the opioid crisis of the 2000s and then the opioid crisis of the 2010s. And it's like every few years it would be a global warming scare and then they'd have to interrupt it with something else. Oh, and it was, oh yeah, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are dying from drug drugs, overdoses, yeah. heroin, meth, uh, the cocaine. the crack epidemic in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, you know, so Nixon declares the war on drugs. And um, I really think the way that the government, which, uh, of course, you know, uh, anyone who knows me around here, I'm the resident libertarian. I think that government is usually the cause of most of our problems, not the solution. Yeah. Um, and whatever government tries to declare a war on, we usually see that thing, you know, getting bigger and more. <laughs> yeah. So war on poverty led to more poverty in this country. Yeah. A war on drugs led to more rampant drug usage. Um, because I just don't think government is always the most efficient or the best route to solve our problems. Um, but the war on drugs is especially heinous because the, the narrative, because one thing government has is government has money to push their propaganda. And uh, the narrative on drugs, whether it was you know Nancy Reagan with the, the D.A.R.E. movement. Yeah. and uh, I forget. Even on different strokes, if you know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. 
and uh, and I forget the the program now. There's another one. There was one before Dare, and then there was the Dare program, Dare to say no to drugs and alcohol. And there's even another one now that's kind of nationwide. I saw some advertisement for it back out in Missouri not too long ago. But um, the whole narrative paints up this like very black and white picture of the evil, you know, satanic drug yeah, dealer who's, who's trying to push these dangerous drugs on the sweet, innocent kids. And it's the, um, for any of your younger fans that are internet savvy, it's the Ricky meme, right? Yep. Like the, oh no, Ricky, don't exactly. look at the, I yeah. don't want you to be influenced by, oh no, and you know, Ricky's whatever he was looking at. Yeah. And it's this like horrible propagandistic idea and it, it totally washes over the fact that most drug dealers got into dealing drugs by doing because well by doing definitely but a lot of times like so so i for example i can talk about this because my dad passed away some years ago uh my dad for a long time in cherokee county was one of the biggest drug dealers around here and the background as to how he got started in drugs um his dad died in a horrible car accident when he was seven or eight years old uh, my dad had like 12 siblings uh he was kind of in the middle he had to drop out of elementary or middle school, I forget the exact grade, but he had to drop out to go to work to help, you know, my grandma help take care of the rest of the kids. Um, so he didn't get to finish school. There's your first strike. Yep. Uh, because we lived in an area where there was a lot of poverty. You know, Cherokee County has had lack of infrastructure and lack of help for, for people that, that have catastrophic life-changing events for a very long time. You know, we've just always kind of been a very, not always, in the beginning we had a lot of wealth, but then very quickly, I'd say after the 20s, 30s, after the Great Depression, we've really struggled yeah. to build back as a, a community that takes care of its own. That's, I said a few weeks ago, I said we have never really recovered from the Great Depression. No, absolutely. That's, that's, I think that is more than fair to say. And so, um, so my dad drops out of school to go work, you know, and, and, and back then this would have been the, I think, 70s, you know, and he's working, you know, under the table in a, a lumber, lumber yard, sawmill, just wherever he can to make money. Well, one of the ways to make money is pot. Right? Yeah. Selling pot. It's a, it's a really easy thing. It's not as risky as back in the 70s, especially. Everyone smokes it around here. There's a really big culture in Appalachia of, you know, if you don't live in the city limits, just everyone and their brother smokes pot. At least, at least every once in a while is a recreational thing. It's not a, a big deal like it is in some places. And um, so that's how he got into drugs. It wasn't because he was, you know, this evil, sadistic person and he was looking to lead kids down the wrong path. No, like, it's a supply and demand thing. There were people who wanted this, and then he had the ability to grow it or to buy from other people and resell it. It was just black market answering a market need. Um, but then what happens is uh, I remember when things went from bad to worse in Cherokee County because with being who my dad was in the community around here uh, – when NAFTA happened, you yeah. know, go back to Bill Clinton, yeah. go back to Newt Gingrich and the yeah. House, uh, and you had the North American Free Trade Agreement uh, in the 90s. NAFTA passed, and uh, the upstate of South Carolina for 100 years, uh, actually 100 years ago, we were known as the textile capital of the world. Greenville, South Carolina, especially, just two counties over. Um, so NAFTA passes in the 90s, and almost all of our local factories shut down, you know, because yep. part of NAFTA was that you could, if you're a business owner, especially a mega corporation, not a local business owner, but a mega corporation, you could outsource, move your plant to Mexico, get cheaper labor. You don't have to comply with OSHA. You don't have to comply with all the, the onerous government regulation. And you can still bring your product back over the border and not have to pay import fees. So they did. Like most of the big mega corporations were like, oh, yeah, this is a no-brainer. And so what that did was it devastated our community. So I remember... This would have been, I was under 10 years old, but I remember before when my dad just smoked pot, just, you know, sold pot. That was kind of the main thing, and it was a side thing. He still had other jobs, still worked, you know, all those kind of things. And I remember it was NAFTA that changed our family and changed my, my life for the worse. Because when NAFTA happened, all of a sudden, all the people around my dad that knew him, you know, and that knew that he, he bought or sold whatever, they came to him and they're like, hey man, I lost my job. My, uh... You know, I've got to feed my family. I've got a mortgage to pay. Uh, let me get some I need to sell too. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden my dad went from just being an in bottom of the chain seller to he was now a middleman. And so you had five people that wanted to buy and sell because, you know, TNS Mills shut down. Dixon Factory gone. All these ones around here shutting down and closing. Everything was moving to Canada or to Mexico. And so I remember this circle growing around my dad very, very fast. 
uh, of people who, and they're still trying to find other work, but there's just, there was no work. The economy was depressed. NAFTA was making it worse. Uh, taxes were going through the roof. We had gas shortages even then. Like, I remember everybody being upset over a gas crossing a dollar a gallon, you know? Like, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm it was just, 2022. Yeah. It's like <laughs> seven, eight dollars in California here. It's like three... Yeah. Well, it was three, right up in the threes. So yeah, but I remember when Blacksburg was ready to riot because Tommy Wilson's, it was like a dollar nine for a gallon <laughs> of gas, you know, and that would have been the late 90s, I think. Yeah. And uh, so, so the economy is going to go. And so, so that's when my dad had to step it up because all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's only the way market economy works is there's only so much demand, right? Yeah. So if you went from, let's say, 15, 20 people in the county selling pot to now there's 100 people, yeah. think about it like a pyramid scheme, right? If everybody's hawking. So take pyramid schemes, for example. That's a much more, uh, I think it's a better way people can relate to this. So if you've only got 15 or 20 people in the county that are all pushing the same you know, product in a pyramid scheme, then those 15 or 20 people can make a good bit of money at return because yes. it's a limited thing. But if all of a sudden 300 people are selling it, you know, the market's already flooded, it's much harder. And it's the same way in the drug community. So I watched as my dad, the pressure to not just feed his own family, but he now had this community pressure of all these people around him, his friends, people he went to school with, people he's known his whole life. They're struggling, they're losing their houses, they're getting their items repossessed, banks are going to, uh, bank accounts are being closed. Uh, people are literally, marriages falling apart. And so, you know, once you've saturated the market for marijuana sales, which is a much less dangerous, much less risky, much less addictive even drug, um, he had to move up for the money. And so marijuana sales became cocaine sales. And then very quickly, because cocaine is a very, very expensive drug for anyone listening who doesn't have a lot of uh, experience in it. Uh, it's a, they, they call it the rich white man's drug. You know, it's your lawyers, doctors, judges, politicians are the ones who do cocaine. Exactly right. Uh, it, uh, like some of our, stock locals, yeah. Yeah, stockbreakers, uh, Wall Street, Wall Street for sure. <laughs> And uh, so, so of course, the poor man's version of that is methamphetamine. So late 90s rolls around, NAFTA's passed, the economy is going terrible. And I remember methamphetamine coming into my family because that's about the time that it came into the county. And my dad had to start, uh, he didn't make it at first, he had some other people that did, but selling that because it was the, the poor man's cocaine. And even crack cocaine is, is a similar you know, thing. Crack was a, a, a cheaper way. You cut it with a bunch of stuff. That's where you're really getting into the muddy waters. Yes, yes. And, um, and so a lot of people don't draw the lines. They don't connect the dots that our methamphetamine problem in Cherokee County and our opioid crisis uh, actually goes back to an economic policy under Clinton and Newt Gingrich's leadership that was NAFTA. And so when our economy contracted and died, the drugs rose and it's because and, and it's not because people just decided you know no one wakes up one day and says you know what? i think i'm going to go get addicted to heroin today yeah. like it's just not something that occurs to people what has to first happen is you lose your job you are about to be homeless your spouse walks out and leaves you because you know they, they can't deal with it anymore uh, or a spouse commits suicide because they've lost everything they have and then all of a sudden this depression comes in this fear of when you don't know where your meals are coming from tomorrow uh, when you don't know if you know the family life deteriorates, you've got alcoholism running rampant, which is a big thing in our culture around here. Um, that stress makes you reach for something to numb the pain, and I think that is a much better context to to try to approach the drug problem with the youth right now in Cherokee County. Um, so I've been sitting here as a small business owner in Blacksburg for three and a half years. And, you know, I watch the high schoolers, I watch the middle schoolers that come in here, and uh, we're a coffee bar, we don't do alcohol, but just like a regular bar, you know, everyone opens up and tells everything to the bartender. And so we hear, you know, a lot of stuff that goes on in this town. And I've been saying for three and a half years that some of our biggest drug dealers in Blacksburg were at the school. They're at the high school, they're at the middle school. Um, some of them I knew by name, you know, I've, I've, uh, it, it's not hard to figure out if you know what to look for. Um, and then you look into their life and you go, well, why, why would a high schooler or why would a middle schooler be dealing drugs? Well, I can't speak for all of them, but just the few that I am relatively confident about that I know who they are and what they're doing. Um, one parent is dead or both. Sometimes they're living with an extended relative. 
Uh, that relative does not have a lot of spare money, so they're usually on food stamps, they're on government support, they uh, live in a house that maybe is not in the best repair. Um, they're stressed out, they, you know, they're coming up close to graduation where they're, they look at the community around them and go, there's no jobs here, I don't know what I want to do with my life, uh, I haven't even had time to figure out what I like in life. And, you know, what they do have access to is opioids. What they do have access to is drugs. And a lot of times the way that they fall into the drug usage is uh, there's just nothing, nothing else to do except sit and be surrounded by incre incredible, intense pressure, anxiety, depression. Um, you know, and, and this, is, this is not even counting the fact that poverty, as poverty increases, mental illness increases as well. Uh, so we've have a rising trend uh, among the young people. Just just think about Blacksburg High, because I know you you know a, a good bit of the people around the high school. Think about the number of people right now that have diagnosed uh, bipolar disorder. Yeah. At the high school. Or undiagnosed. Yeah, there's a lot of undiagnosed, but there's there's a, there's a good bit that's diagnosed yeah, you're, you're right. uh, that they know they're on meds for it. And you think about it, and that compared to the rates ten years ago, compared to the rates twenty oh, years ago. It's nothing. Yeah. You know, and and not saying that it wasn't there. I think a lot of it has gone under the radar for some time. Yes, of course. But it has gotten tremendously diagnosed. worse. These things have all been been snowballing, and so one of the things that bipolar disorder, for example, does is it gives you. Um, crazy, crazy mood swings. Um, and these mood swings, when you're having um, the depressive phase, you will do, you feel like it, your life is never gonna be better. You feel yes. like nothing is ever gonna return. It's always gonna be misery forever. And in those places, that's where a lot of opioid crisis begins. That's where a lot of drug crisis, substance abuse begins. Because when you're at that low, low point and you feel like you'll do anything to not feel that way, you'll take numb over feeling bad. Yeah. And, um, and it's really disappointing to me as someone who I have some family members uh, that are counselors, they're in psychology, they're uh, LMSWs, they're social workers. And I look around Blacksburg, I look around Cherokee County, and we don't have any infrastructure here for counseling. Like, I think, even correct me if I'm wrong, but I think even the high school right now does not have a guidance counselor that is like a licensed therapist. We don't have, uh, I, I think, as I far as I know. I don't think, I don't think so. I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I don't think so. Yeah, we, we still kind of have the very old-fashioned uh, view that a guidance counselor is there to help you fill out college applications yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not a, a job. It's not an actual counselor as far as yeah. a therapist. And, uh, and I think that's a problem, you know, when we start talking about, like we're talking about budget season right here at the town of Blacksburg, uh, we budget for fire because fire is a big risk to towns and people's lives. We budget for police because again, you know, safety, security, public safety is a big issue. Where's our budget for mental health crisis? There is none and there has to be. Well, there, there is. It gets, you know, rolled into that fire and police because when people are having mental health crisis, it usually leads to crime. <laughs> Not always, but it does. I thought you were about to say, well, actually, they do have a fund, but no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, not directly. No. They don't know it. They don't know they don't that know they it. do. And it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they don't know that they do. But, yeah, our, our cost for police and fire is always going to continue to rise when we're not solving some of these problems. Because you think about how much arson even happens in this county. There's a good yep. bit of intentional fires that are set by people who are off their meds. Yep. You know? Or some people that are not on any meds that probably need, need to, to be. Need to be on meds, yeah. Um, you know, we've got a, there's a few individuals that walk around town here that anyone locally, if I called their names, everybody knows who they are and um that's a walking mental health crisis and this one individual has been arrested more than 80 times in the last year so every time he's arrested they take him over to the county and the town of blacksburg because he's arrested here has to pay for his booking fee the night stay the meals and everything so we're paying for mental health right one way or another yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know i'm i'm sitting here as a business owner as someone who, whose business has been directly impacted by this individual like we've had he's had mental health breakdowns here in front of my shop even one time inside we've had to have him removed and, you know and i think is it not a better idea to have mental health services in this county to try to prevent some of this stuff? Definitely. And um, definitely, that's a that's a side of this that I see as a community member, as a as, as a minister who yeah who uh, for years you know I've been on the I've taken the two o'clock in the morning phone calls with a person that's sitting there with a gun or the knife and they're they're ready to end it, you know and and I've had to talk people down from those ledges. I actually just went last week to uh, someone that I know who is going through just a horrible. Um, Maybe yep. if they were like 10, 20 years later, you'd call it a midlife crisis, but their life is falling apart in a lot of different areas. And uh, they had 
turn to drug use, to a, what we call a hard drug. And so I went to their house, I talked them down off the ledge, I prayed with them for 20 minutes, and then they gave me the little bag of drugs that they had. And I was able to get that out of their house, I was able to dispose of it. Um, but you know, the, the drugs aren't going anywhere until the mental problems do. That's exactly right. The, the drugs are not gonna go anywhere until the emotional problems do. This is my direct question on the panel. It was, what is the community's plan for direct action mm-hmm. to the mental Christ and the youth to cause the drug and alcohol abuse to go down? Yeah. And that's paraphrasing, of course, but it was, <laughs> you have to tackle that because if you don't tackle that, those are going to be a big difference. And even if you look at it away from the drugs and alcohol, yeah. there are people that are dying every day. There are people that are wanting to die every day. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you have to say, and I, and I wonder this a lot, what is going to be the wake-up call for people to realize that this is the issue? Mm-hmm. It's not, but some people it's not even an issue for. You have people, and I don't know, I don't know if it's like a regional thing in the South, people just kind of chalk it up to all, but I don't know what it is, but... I'm wondering what the wake-up call is going to be, because just like you said, we could talk here for the rest of the night about why this is mm-hmm. an issue and give all different examples. But we, I think we're looking at it through the long perspective, mm-hmm. just like you said. And it's going to be a big step to, okay, well, if we admit we're wrong, where do we go from here? Where do we do to make this right and actually solve the problem? Because otherwise, this, I see this being a big factor in society's downfall. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is... You know, the the problem is, is like we we swallowed a lie a long time ago in America that um, you can just vote, you know, the bad guy out and put a new guy in and things will magically get better. Right. We like the easy solutions. We like the microwave. We like the microwave answer. Just pop it in 30 seconds and done versus 45 minutes to cook over a grill or something. Um, And. You know, we didn't get to an opioid crisis overnight, and we're not going to get to a solution overnight. You know, you can take a billion dollars and throw it into a local town's policing efforts, and you can become a total fascist state like North Korea, right? And it's still going to be here. Mm -hmm. Like, people will find a way to get to it because they're not getting their needs met. And so the better question that we as a society, well, we, well, first we have to decide, are we going to be a society, right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to try to live together as people and neighbors, citizens, residents? And then if we're going to be that, if we can answer that question, we have to, which I think a lot of people have not answered that question. You know, <laughs> that's a, that is a big issue that I think every generation has to decide for itself. One, are we going, are we willing to commit to this idea of brotherhood, of citizenship, of, of, of sharing life, doing life together? Yeah. Now, as a libertarian and as someone who, you know, like regularly has a lot of people pulling energy out of me, like I'm all for moving to a cabin out in the middle of the woods, 200 miles away <laughs> where I can't be bothered. I can yeah. just, you know, me sitting by a Creek watching yeah. the frogs. Jump, I can see you, know? you do that. That's like, like there are a lot of days where I really, that's like, mm, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, some of the writers, I forget his name now, but you know, the, the, they were like, you know, get back to primitivism, get, get away from society. That's the problem. Like I, I understand that. Yeah. But, um, but I don't think the majority of America wants that. And so we have to decide, are we going to be a society? Well, then the second question we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of a society are we going to be? You know, because we look at human history, and there are societies like Sparta that were very aggressive, very warlike. There were societies like Athens, where everything was built around that higher goals of self-actualization, philosophy, trying to find the meaning of life. Well, we have societies like some in India and some in Amazon that were cannibalistic. They would literally eat their own. Uh, or eat the neighbors. We have societies that are built on tribalism. Some societies only exist to be perpetually at war with another society close by. That sounds like something we have in America. Right. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of tribalism. Um, but, you know, and, and to bring this point even closer, you know, we have to decide as a society what kind of society we want to be. Do we want to be a kind of society like North Korea, where we depend on a, a jackbooted, uh, heavy-handed police state to take out our inconvenient crime problems? Or do we want to be a society, and, and again, there's there's no perfect solution. There's, there's no answers that are just 100% no. across the board. But when you look at um, some of the European countries that are dealing with the drug crisis, 
those countries that have decriminalized even what we call hard drugs, the ones that like no one around here is comfortable with, things like heroin, things like cocaine, when they decriminalize and they shift the perspective, we actually see, we've watched this, like we've got in the Netherlands, I think it's like 15 years now worth of data uh, since they started their decriminalization process. And in every single metric, crime goes down, overdoses go down, new addicts, right? The, the number of people that are trying this drug for the first time goes down. Um, it, it, it's, it's the opposite of the way we've been taught to believe yeah. by those who declared the war on drugs. Yeah. Um, and so as a society, like, you know, here for us in the upstate of South Carolina, I think we really have like, it, we, we've had a fast one pulled on us that just says, oh, we need to increase the police budgets. We need more officers at the yeah. schools, more officers on the streets, and we need harsher penalties. Like I've, I've literally heard senators in our general assembly and representative members when they're talking about drug issues that that they they think the answer is mandatory minimums they think the answer is throw them in prison for 10 years they now granted these are the same people who decided by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna rabbit trail for just a second these are the same people who decided that the offense and punishment for molesting a child is less than for you know abusing a dog yeah you can get seven, ten years for for animal abuse, cruelty, and get like felony charges where you lose your voting rights. You can molest a child and be out in six months sometimes. Mm-hmm. These are the same people who decided that they thought that was okay, you know. And uh, you know, they, they, so they, these the, a lot of these same people think that you know what's that? Oh, uh, simple possession for marijuana. Let's throw them in prison for three years. And that's what you got to see in the false place. Yeah, you have people like Alice Johnson who got arrested in like nineteen nineties for. I mean, I want a possession. Mm-hmm. She was in jail. Well, she until twenty eighteen didn't get court until twenty twenty. Yeah, and it's insane. And especially, I mean, that's she- ridiculous. This is over one time possession of weed. Yeah, this happened in Louisiana County, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and then you also have other ones. There, there was a long waiting list of people right now that need to be pardoned. Some one, some continue to be. One time, you know, want to use even I okay. You know, a plant that George Washington grew and yes, sold. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I read that in an article a couple weeks ago. But yeah, you have... <laughs> I didn't know that. But you have, like, no matter how many violations you do this, I can even see five years. I just can't see three years in prison. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and look, now I could potentially, for, like, meth. Yeah. Or... You know, anything, pretty much the hardest drug you can think of, whatever that But the crazy be. thing with that is, is that usually, and this is not always the case, but you look around, in, in our area especially, um, the people who get arrested for meth, whether it be just possession or intent to distribute, they're out two days later. Yep. And they get a, a, a rolling court date that says, oh, they're going to go back to court in three months. Well, that gets, like, pushed off another three, another six, another, another three. And, and they end up never going to court. They end up usually never serving any amount of time. Um you know, and so even if you're of the camp, the you want the society that's hardline punishing these these people that are really struggling. By the way, which by yeah. the way, that's what you know a much better view. There, don't get me wrong. There are so, so, sociopaths out there. There are psychopaths. Yes, there are some people course. who are their intentions are evil and they are very dangerous to society. Those people do exist. They're a very small amount minority, but the majority of people that our American legal system disdains as criminal are victims themselves. They are hurting. They're people that are in the middle of a mental health crisis. They're people in the middle of a, like, um, for example, in, when you get into uh, elder care uh, with like nursing and stuff, um, one of the, the hardest aspects of elder care is memory care. And wow. now, yeah. like we, we've, we've, we've known this for a long time, but we're starting to get some good feedback on how to handle it. And one of the things that's become a standard uh, training technique for people that are going for CNA or nursing degrees is that an understanding that people in memory care are not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Yes. Right. And, and this is the same kind of way that I think our society would be better served. I think our families would be better served. Right. Because at the end of the day, society is just a collection of families. It's your family and my family and the other five families on the street all figuring out how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to love, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're figuring out how we want to be treated uh, because with the drug problem, you can push for harsher sentences. You can push for heavier punishments. Um, and you may be the one that just made sure that your nephew is going to go to prison yeah. for 20 years. Cause you exactly. know, it, it, this can happen to you. This can happen in your family. This can happen to your kid. Uh, mental health doesn't, you know, it doesn't it's have everybody. favorites. It doesn't just pick, you know, pick and choose everyone. If you're a human and you have a brain, you are subject to having a breakdown. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Um, 
And so as a society, we really have to decide what we're going to do about the breakdowns. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to have AAA, we're going to call for a tow, or are we just going to abandon the car? I think that's kind of how people look at it a lot of times. Yeah. It would be easier just to not deal with it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I think to, to, to take a very long side trail and make it very short to, to attempt to do so, um, it, it's so hard. Um, pause for a second. Yeah, so to take something that could be a very long conversation and try to make it short, and we've touched on it before, I think it is the poverty conditions in our nation um, which are actually keeping us from being able to solve these problems, yes. right? So, so we talk about, you know, do you repair something or do you throw it away and just get a new one? And we do that with people in our society, and I think it's because there's so much economic governmental pressure that you have to work 40 to 80 hours a week just to survive yourself that think about how many hours are left in a day to care about your neighbor Mm -hmm. to care about your extended family to care about the people down the street to give you know intelligent critical thinking to solving our community problems and it's it's this perpetual poverty will always always lead to this perpetual cycle of, uh, it's the, I forget the name of it, but it's the Celtic beast that was the bat giant basilisk or serpent that's eating its own tail, right? And so it keeps eating because it's hungry, but it doesn't realize it's still hungry because it's eating itself. Mm-hmm. And poverty is the same way where because we don't have time to focus on others because we're all trying to keep ourselves from ending up in the poorhouse, we're all trying to keep ourselves from being in bankruptcy, um, we then end right. up throwing away people that could be fixed. We end yes. up throwing away, giving up on people just because it's inconvenient, just yeah. because it takes a little bit time just because it takes a little bit of effort well it's time and effort that quite frankly we don't have because the irs says i owe them money and so i've got to go pull an over a double shift i've got to work overtime and here's the thing here's another thing when you look at the other beast in all this which would be big pharmaceutical industry yes and you know that's something that you know i've been you know pretty open about my you know political intentions on here but what i would want is the pharmaceutical industry has become so corrupted and power-hungry and money-hungry, not just with the way they lobby members of Congress, not just with just the way that they are controlling a lot of different aspects. But when you look at, you know, I know we want to talk about how in South Carolina we just had mm-hmm. the medical... Uh, medical marijuana. Me- legalization. Medical marijuana legalization bill pass the Senate. Yeah, just passed the Senate. It's going on to the House well, right now. But yeah. I think that was last night, actually, that it, yeah. it passed the Senate. After we're talking about eight years that Senator Tom Davis of Beaufort um, has been working for really a lot longer than that, but there's been an eight-year concerted effort where he has been pushing so hard. Yeah. And um, in his case, his is very he's a, he's a very interesting senator because he's super super socially conservative, right? Mm-hmm. This man, like, I don't think he's ever voted on anything that we'd consider really progressive or liberal. He, he has a good, long track record. He's a, he's a good conservative Republican in the state of South yeah. Carolina, you know. Um, and what changed his mind on marijuana legalization was there was a representative in his district who, and you can go back and fact check me on this, I don't remember the exact number, but basically their minor age, I think it was a daughter, I don't think it was a son, it was a daughter, had upwards of 120 seizures a day. They had a very severe form of epilepsy, and they had approached Senator Davis in his office to talk about the fact that there are all these studies coming out of some in Europe, but over in Colorado, of people using uh, the THC and the CBD in in combined effort using medical marijuana to treat seizures, right? So he actually, they, that, that family ended up going out uh, doing a, a visit to Colorado. They were there for a month. They were able to, they made connections with doctors. And after one week of medical marijuana treatment in Colorado, their daughter went from 120 seizures a day down to something like five seizures yes. a day. And so if you're a parent, if you're, if you're a human being who has ever witnessed someone have a seizure, it is one of the most terrifying things you can do. And especially to think about it as a parent, watching your child go into a seizure where they lose all their motor function and they just, they, for all intents and purposes, your, your brain just assumes they're dead. Because especially if they come out of the seizure on their own, usually the way they look, their, their lips are blue, they, you, they're, they're everything but dead. And seizures can't kill you. Mm-hmm. But to go from 120 seizures a day to five seizures a day, and the difference was medical-grade regulated marijuana. Mm-hmm. So Senator Davis then started an investigation across his district and across the state. He started finding 
dozens of families in South Carolina who had the same problem, that their child had this, you know, 80 seizures a day, 60 seizures a day. And they would go, they would try try this for a while. And of course, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to, to travel. And, and one or two of these families have actually already, because this took so long, this process, several of these families have already moved permanently to Colorado yeah. because... 120 seizures versus five seizures a day. It's a lot. It's 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 not a question. Yeah. So so the the one or two families had approached his office because they said, look, Senator, we're from South Carolina. We love our families here. Our life is here. We're, we're we've been here. Our families have been here for for generations. We want to raise our kids here, but because of this medical issue, we need our our kid to have this medicine. And that's what it is. It is medicine. It is medicine. And uh, and so that's what started his process of pushing it. And what's it's so funny. Um, that every time he's gotten close to getting it th- even to a vote in the Senate, it's the the pharmaceutical lobby and the Fraternal Order of Police lobby that come out of the woodwork in the state of South Carolina to accuse and to slander and to drudge up all of the old propaganda of, you know, the devil's lettuce and how dangerous it's coming for our kids. It's targeting our kids. And it's so funny that his bill this week, which actually got completely watered down, like it, this is one of the most airtight, oh, yeah. conservative. Almost a dozen amendments to it. Oh, I yeah. just read that. In, insane, insane amount. Like South Carolina's General Assembly never debates stuff that seriously because they don't care, quite yeah. frankly. Like right. <laughs> it's, it's hard to get enough of those people to show up to actually be able to have a vote. Yeah. But boy, they showed up for this one. And yeah, all the amendments. And this is going to be one of the most tightly controlled um, programs in the United States of America. Yes. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm definitely glad for the progress, but it's, you know, I think that, uh, it's really funny that his opponents this whole time, even the ones that were trying to, to, to stop the bill from, from even making it to the floor, they're like, this creates a pathway. This is a slippery slope where it's just going to lead right into recreational. And well, well, it, 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 it doesn't. Um, except, except here's the slippery slope, right? The slippery slope is when you watch your great grandma who has cancer. And you watch her be able to do some edibles, and all of a sudden she has her appetite back. And because her appetite is back, she has her strength back. And because her strength back, that's the slippery slope. The slippery slope is that we see that marijuana does have a medicinal purpose. And that if we accept that as a society, which really I would argue that it's, this is a null point. You know, we actually did a, in an election a few years ago, they had a question on the ballot of legalizing marijuana. Something like 78% of Republicans were in favor of it. Yeah. It was an even higher number for independents and Democrats across the whole state. So our electorate in South Carolina has actually already spoken and said we wanted it legalized. It has. Um, And and it it blows my mind that these senators and these representatives have the audacity, like a certain, you know, town curmudgeon, to think that they know better, to think that, that their opinion matters more. Um, but of course, a lot of these people are also bankrolled by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and if, if we can grow a plant in our backyard and that can treat a lot of our cancer symptoms or a lot of our uh, ALS symptoms or a lot of our, you know, there's, there's so many um, issues in, that can go on in the human body that this one particular plant just it has a lot of really good use for. And if we can legalize that, well, then we don't need to go down to the pharmacy to get a prescription, to pay an insurance premium, to pay 15 people in line for this manufactured drug out of a factory that has a a side effects list that's a mile long. I think another thing is, like, at the end of the day, you're exactly right in everything you're saying. If I'm, uh, during this time, if I'm a representative or if I'm a state senator, this is a no-brainer for me. Because when you look at what your constituents are wanting, when you look at what is common sense, because like like you would think you, you would you would think that there would have to be something that's holding these people back yeah. from not voting on this because it's common sense. Uh, it is there are a lot of yeah. So so let's real quick let's tie the the marijuana legalization thing back to the conversation earlier about drug abuse and yeah. overdoses. Oh, so yes. to the town hall like the, event we're talking about yeah. is specifically about the the number of overdose incidences we've had just here in Cherokee County. I want to say since the middle of November or December, which is only putting us three four months ago, we've had at least five what we'd call youth young person overdoses, and. You look at all the cases, there's a few differences, there's some things that are different amongst all of them, but all of these people were taking a drug that was laced mm-hmm. with something else. Mm-hmm. And so if we are able to, as a society, move on to legalizing something as small and simple as marijuana, if I can go down the road and to a dispensary and get 
you know, market controlled, regulated, inspected, safe, it's just marijuana cigarette, I don't have to worry about overdosing because the drug dealer who wants to sell me something more expensive has laced it with uh, angel Fentanyl. dust, PCP, fentanyl, um, you know, all these other things. Like, it's, it's insane. Yeah. I, I know so many people, so many young people uh, who in the last three or four years, they thought they were just buying a joint from someone over here in Gaffney or over on this side of town, and it was laced with something. They tested positive for meth because it got mixed in because, you know, for the drug dealer on the street, they're just trying to get you up to that more expensive, the more addictive substance. Um, and so I don't think that, that, that we've really, our senators, our, our politicians have thought about that the solution to black, prob, uh, black, to black market problems is to bring that industry into the light, right? Um, I know back when my dad yeah. was a, a pot dealer, he, the thing he feared the most was legalization of marijuana. Why? Because then he'd have competition, and it'd be tax-paying competition. And it'd right? be go to the Walmart or go yeah. to where Yeah, yeah, go down to the corner store. Yeah. You know, get it just like you already get. Which, by the way, alcohol is much more damaging to the human body. Has much more potent, uh, yeah. or, or, uh, potential for dependency yeah. uh, than something like marijuana usage. And if I can go down to the corner store and get it, then I don't have to. You know, Mike at the corner store is not in the back sprinkling crack on yeah. on, the, on the marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so if we have a regular industry we don't have overdose issues we don't and, and by the way there was a Harvard study done over almost 30 years ago now uh, of can a person overdose on marijuana and the answer was you would have to smoke or ingest 50 was it 100 100 pounds of it in 15 minutes in order to overdose that's physically impossible you you die of the smoke inhalation first yeah it wouldn't be the drugs uh, would be the smoke inhalation yeah. is what I would think and so so you cannot overdose on it um you know, the worst side effect is you've got the munchies and, you know, you're glued to your couch for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and, and our other option as a society, if we continue like we do right now, where we're criminalizing it, we're penalizing it, doing all these other things, is we're telling people the only way to go and get it is yeah. to take the risk of being laced and drugged with something else. And here's the thing. If you can buy, if you can go to the corner store and buy cigarettes. Yes. Which have next to none medicinal purposes that I'm aware right, of. Right, right. Other than they say that nicotine could, call, could cure Alzheimer's. I've read that. But here's the problem, right? Like your cigarettes at the store, unless you're buying, uh, there's a brand, I think it's called American Spirits. Um, theirs is like 99% tobacco. Yeah. Everything else, you're like getting 1% to 5% tobacco. Because yeah. the, big, the big tobacco industry did the same thing Big Pharma does. They put all this filler. They put all this other stuff in there. Uh, that's actually really, really bad for you. So, you know, our great-grandparents who used to maybe smoke a cigarette all the time, they smoked a lot more commonly, but they were smoking straight, dried, rolled tobacco. Yeah. They still lived into their like 80s, 90s, line. and 100s, yeah. and they didn't have all the cancer. You know, I think a lot of the reasons why smoking causes cancer nowadays is like all, and, and you're speaking to someone who has never smoked a day in my life. Uh, my parents smoked when I was a kid. I grew up, I hated it, can't stand the smell. I'm actually allergic to cigarette smell, uh, to the smoke. Um, and I've never smoked. I don't care about it. But I am I'm still able to objectively look back and say, you know, the tobacco that my great-great-grandparents smoked is nowhere near related to the cigarettes that my mom is still addicted to today. And the health benefits and consequences, you know, like the health consequences are much more dire. Um, and it's the same It's the same kind of thing when we look at marijuana legalization. You know, the, the potential, and there's nothing, there's no substance on the face of the planet that is safe 100% for 100% of people. Right. Uh, but you look at something that is so innocuous, that has such a small list of potential bad side effects, mm -hmm. and then you look at a society who is struggling with anxiety, stress, um, self-loathing, mental health, all these problems, and you go, they're already trying to get it, right? Like, they're already trying to do that. And what's happening is that they're going on to get further addicted to opioids and other stronger drugs because what they're able to get is tainted. So then let's clean up the supply. Let's, you know, let's push for a legalization effort around here. Because I, I can tell you right now, if you legalized marijuana in Cherokee County, one, we're going to be able to finally fix our roads, right? Because yeah. the taxes on it. That's, uh, because everybody's buying yes. and smoking now anyway, um, but they're not paying taxes on it, which, you know, let me go ahead and say on the record here as, a, as an anarcho-capitalist and a libertarian, I'm for the abolishing of almost all those taxes anyway. But if we're going to have a society and if we're going to do group projects where we try to break up the pay and cost of these things, then, you know, let's do it on, a, on something that's more ethical, which would be a sales tax versus an income or property tax. But let's have that sales tax and let's have it on this as well. Um, 
and and let's finally fix our roads because hey maybe if we can get our roads fixed then companies wouldn't mind coming here to put a business here and if exactly. they put their business here then that's more jobs and, and if the, the economy jobs, going up yeah if the economy picks up around here people have less of a reason to want to go to a substance for happiness yeah. and at the end of the day too now my only question is what is the difference then if you go to 99 forms over there yeah what is the difference between what that is getting you and what, what if this does God willing get passed? What you would get with that? Because this is purely medical. This is not even regulation. Okay, you would have to get a cord for this, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the bill that just went through the Senate, and like I said, there was a lot of alterations. I haven't had time to read all of yeah. them, but from what I understood, I, I saw a little summary from a, a proponent of the bill last night when it passed. Um, you you have to get a medical diagnosis from a doctor. Your doctor has to, you have to be thorough, like thorough. They have to have the proof that you have this medical condition and they have to defend in their records why you are a candidate for this. They have to apply for it. Um, also, in order to get this, a, I believe the amendment passed. Um, originally, they were going to set up a dispensary system like almost all the other states have done. Well, they decided they didn't like that and the pharmaceutical industry needed to get its cut. So now, one of the amendments that I think did pass to the Senate bill is that the only place you can get a prescription filled for medical marijuana in the state of South Carolina, you have to have the medical marijuana card and you have to go to an authorized, licensed South Carolina pharmacy. Well, that pharmacy now also has to have paid SLED uh, security services on site, so like the cost is going to go through the roof. This this thing they just took. A I think it's going to be shot by the time it with like like if it like when it passes, it's going to be almost unrecognizable. Well, you know, the problem is is that the more layers of regulation you put on something, the more expensive the final product gets. And a lot of these amendments they tacked onto this. I think it is a good bill, right? Because I think you know cancer is a really big problem in South yes. Carolina. We have a lot of industries here that are very carcinogenic, right? Mm -hmm. the pe a lot of the factories that people have worked in for a long time, a lot of the schools that people go to, uh, we have a lot of environmental factors that for one reason or another, just we have a really high incidence of cancer in the state. And we know medical marijuana is something that hands down has been proven time and time again in clinical trials to help mitigate both cancer's effects and chemotherapy's effects as well. Because chemo is a very, very hard drug. Like we think about, um, heroin being a hard drug, but chemotherapy is a hard drug yeah. with a lot of side effects. Yeah. Um, and something like marijuana, medical marijuana, actually can help mitigate those side effects. So, so what they did with this bill is because they're so worried about all the cultural fallout of it, um, is they've tacked on all these regulations, which make it a lot harder, which is it's fine. It's still progress. It's still getting closer because, like I said, there are so many patients in this state that... For example, let me let me give you just a real quick story. I had a relative who recently was going through a very horrendous cancer thing, um, and at the end of her life, she was on morphine, she was on fentanyl drip, and or morphine drip and on fentanyl patches, and there was a third like class one scheduled drug. That is insane. But because she has cancer and she's dying, it's fine. What about the people who have cancer and are living? Why can't we give them some class one drugs as well, which is what marijuana is, which I mean, it's, it's insane. If you ever look up the history of why marijuana was scheduled at schedule one drugs, it's complete racism. It's racism. Yeah. 100%. Uh, the attorney general and the doctors who gave the testimony before Congress when they were establishing the drug schedule literally said something to the effect that it made Mexicans lazy and unproductive. It made black people, which they used a different word on the record that I'm not going to repeat, but it made them uh, incensed and angry, made them violent and made them want to rape white women it made white women want to go out and have fornication with mexicans and blacks it, that's what they said that marijuana did back when they were setting the schedule they might as drugs. well have a 1929 cartoon oh, it was. <laughs> so there's there's an old black and white movie called reefer madness uh that kind of makes fun of that and it's like it's this super exaggerated you know the like the, the the teenager takes one hit off of a joint and then he like he goes crazy and murders everyone in the room with an axe right yeah. and but that's what happened in congress when they were giving the sworn medical testimony about how dangerous this plant is it's absolutely idiotic and um but it was also it wasn't just like you know it wasn't just an exaggeration. It was actually straight-up racist propaganda. Yeah. They were using people's racial fears to, to promote this drug war. This is also during segregation, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. This was this is quite a while ago. Um, and so they were using that racial tension to even promote this idea that, oh, this plant's dangerous. We need to schedule it. We need to, we need to control this substance. Um, 
it's just, it's just, it blows my mind. I think it was actually Representative Ron Paul was the first person I ever heard that about. Uh, it was, he was sitting in a committee uh, in Congress when they were discussing uh, some, some drug stuff. And he, he's the one who pointed out that when you check the congressional record of the sworn testimony before Congress when they set the drug schedule way back when, it was racism. It was 100% racism. Mm-hmm. There was no actual medical fact. There was no clinical trials. There was no data to support this. It was racism and fear baiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so likewise, you know, I think it's in 2022, our society has gotten over a lot of problems. We've, we've moved beyond a lot of irrational fears. We've moved beyond, beyond a lot of irrational philosophies. Um, but I think we still are going to have to do the hard work of picking up some books, of looking at why do some of these laws that we have you know, that are currently in effect, why were they put into effect? And do we still need them? Uh, one of my favorite founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, mm. um, one of the reasons why he hesitated on signing um, the, the, the some of our founding documents, uh, the Constitution of the United States of America, he actually hesitated in signing it. And he said it was because they had took out a clause that he wanted to put in there. And he had a sunset clause in the Constitution. <laughs> and for those who don't know what a sunset clause is, a sunset clause is any time you have an ordinance or a law or a bill or something that's going into effect that's going to have the full force of government behind it. A sunset clause says this ordinance shall be in effect until and it gives an expiration date. And Thomas Jefferson um, in his wisdom, and you can disagree with him on a lot of things, but I think he was a very wise man for this. He thought that even the Constitution should have had a sunset clause because what a sunset clause does is as you approach that expiration date, the next generation now has to decide, what is this what do? we still want? Yeah. Is this right for us? Um, and, and as someone who is uh, politically in America, someone who is a constitutional conservative, like I'm, I'm an originalist intent, I do think that the Constitution was a really good document. I still think it's important that we as a society continue to say, yes, we all think that's worth defending. Yeah. And if we don't have that conversation, um, then we can very easily be led, misled by propaganda. And so it's the same way with the drug laws, it's the same way with poverty laws. There's a lot of programs that happen from the Depression forward that the government ran through on promises of good intentions. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to go back and ask ourselves, what's the fruit of that program been? What is the consequence of it? What was the results? And do we still want that? Or is yeah. that the society we want? And that's, and that's what it comes down to. And, you know... When you have people who do look at it, like I wrote, like I did write a drug bill, like I wrote a lot of ideas down of what I would like this bill to be, like eight months ago, before it yeah. even got really pushing again, Yeah. and what I would want, and maybe one day on the podcast I have to go through it all, but the way you would get it, it would not be controlled by the government, because that's just not a good, nothing ever goes well <laughs> that way. So... Wait, and are you saying you're not in favor of government-controlled health care? As crazy as it sounds, Thomas. <laughs> no. Mitt Romney's so disappointed in you right now. Well, I'm disappointed so is Obama. in Mitt Romney. But, <laughs> so yeah, you have to do it from what comes... Basically, if you, do, if you put all this bells and whistles on this bill and it passes, it's going to be so difficult, it's almost not even going to be what it was eventually set out to be. So, but if you do it recreationally... And I'm not saying just, you know, willy-nilly drugs all over the place, because I believe that is... <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what I'm saying in a way. Yeah. But there are definitely different ways we, we could do, go about it. And part of, when I was writing this paper or bill or whatever you want to call it, there was this one chapter, I guess you could say. It's called... And I don't know if maybe if people are listening to this, they might, you know... I get a lot of times, well, why would you want... If I, if I say something about, oh, I support the legalization of marijuana, I always get the... I'm either wanting to use it immediately, right? Or I get because I guess more Democrats are in favor of it than Republicans, which is, you can kind of political you kinda, stance, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I even wrote, which, by the way, I I do want to point out on the record that if I know 100 people in my private life who smoke pot, uh, 80 percent of them vote red. Yeah, you exactly. Know? <laughs> I believe that. Like like 80 to 90 yeah. percent of them vote conservative republican somewhere in that line yeah. you know <laughs> and i wrote how to lobby for the legislative legalization we want without sounding like a stoner yeah because yeah. that's because that's what people always assume but that's not i believe everything in moderation but there is at the end of the day there was an issue yeah and you know as we're starting to wrap up i do want to say that there are so many things in our communities that we need to talk about. And it starts with you. It starts with conversations. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of good people out there who are doing work. 
Yeah. But we need action. We need action. And, you know, Thomas, one thing that's really good here is that, you know, I could, I could think of even myself personally when I've been, you know, going through something, I've come here, you know, with, I ask you a question about something. But it's having places like this in the community, having people like this in the community, having events yeah. where like, like we can right, just... Right now, actually, we... we... Uh, I wanted to talk about this earlier, and I just you know, realized oh, yeah, I remembered. Um, so right yeah, now, through the whole month of yeah. February, on every Friday night, we're actually hosting an open yes. mic. Open mic. Uh, open mic night on Friday nights. And so that's open to independent artists. It's open to musicians and poets. But it's also open to people to give a political speech. Uh, it's given for spoken word things. And so, you know, because it's just kind of like the town hall thing. You know, as a, as a community... We have to have a platform, and we also have to have a voice. And I think that a lot of people don't know how to use their voice because they haven't had practice. And so we're doing this every every Friday in February thing, and, and we hope to do it even more going forward. Just we're trying to establish it yeah, right now. I do that. But we're trying to help people find their voice. So like, I'm encouraging people if you know if you're a local listener uh, to the podcast, come out on a Friday night, prepare yeah. even if it's just one paragraph. It's you know it, it can be a question. You know, not all speeches have answers. Some speeches are raising the question, uh, but something that bothers you something that's been on your mind if you're a rhyming type put it in poet form but come out you know and a, and a, and a, a slot in our open mic can literally be three minutes long like it we're, there's no one up there with a timer gonna yeah. do it uh gonna tell you you have to keep talking but to come out step up to the mic and just share and find your voice and we're trying to encourage people to find their voice because you know there's 1800 people roughly in the town of blacksburg um in the in the the scriptures, the, the Christian scriptures tell us, in the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom, and I think that we have the answer to our problems in this community. But people have to find their voice, because yes. it's somewhere. The answer's here. It's it's among us. Um, but I don't think that we've always had the best ability uh, to empower people to share their opinion, to share right. their idea, to share their solution. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here. That's what we try to do all the time. You know, and we have lots of really good conversation here at the cafe, just over the counter, back and forth, sitting at tables at booths. Um, but in opening up the platform and having the open mic thing, we're trying to amplify that and, and, and encourage people to say, hey, your voice is not just at this table. It's not just on a bar stool. It's you have the ability to be heard by other people that you mm-hmm. don't even know um, and trying to empower people in that way. Uh, to say, to, you know, find your voice, get educated, learn something, yes. start a conversation, talk that's to someone that doesn't agree with you, get out of your echo chamber. You know? Get out of your comfort zone, too, is what it Well, that's kind of the same thing. But yeah, and honestly, yeah, I bet as soon now that you said that, I meant to, when I was plugging Wise Fire to get to that, because that is something that's, that's been something I've been wanting opportunity for a long time so if i can come up with something i am gonna uh that's right you guys come out and hear camden give his political dissertation <laughs> over the mic oh that, that that could be a good experience uh-huh so yeah but and once again watch out at 113 north shelby street that's right and you can check out the menu wise power cafe we always say that also thanks to anchor fm for uh, the platform that we use uh anchorfm.com and of course sweet peach boutique on uh, floyd baker boulevard go check them out but yeah, starts with conversations, and that's what Going Place is about. We want to support conversations in the community about how to better yourself, especially in the youth, about finding what you know you need to do mm-hmm. instead of just kind of going along with the sheeple of it all. Finding your place. That's what it's about. Thank Thomas, thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Camden. It's always a pleasure talking to you and Daniel. Yeah. Also, best of luck to Daniel. That's right. Good luck on the golf team. Yeah. <laughs>